Hey, everybody. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. My name is Dave Yates, and we are rolling solo today, but Miss Anna V is fun. She is uh, here in spirit, um, and so I will kick us off. It's weird doing this on my own because there's a back and forth that we always do, so I will try not to fail. So I'm going to read that clarity statement before we get kicking. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. This is a podcast where we believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences and growth by also interviewing guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to interview people about their own life experiences. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves and each other by listening. And we're going to hop right in this. We got a guest in in the space, in the Zoom space, and we let him introduce themselves. So who are we speaking with? Hello, I'm Jay Light. Jay Light. The place to be. I'm here. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah, this uh, Jay has done the podcast before, uh, pre pre Dave Yates. So uh, we figured we'd uh, we we do a check in check up uh, episode with Jay just to see what he's working on, how he's doing, sober, not sober. You know, who knows what Jay's been up to? (laughs) But that's why we have him here, so he can let us know what's up. How you doing today? I'm I'm pretty good today. Is is it, you know the thing that everybody is, is says right now? I feel like when they're actually doing good, but they want to be kind of modest about it. Is I'm doing good, all things considered, which is basically where I'm at today. Like I have, uh, you know, I have a few things that I uh, some decisions that I had to make recently that were very tough, and I've had to sort of do some standing up for myself and not engaging in my. Uh, in some of the character defects that I've learned over the course of my time doing 12 step work. And, and I feel pretty good about where I'm at as far as that goes today, even if those choices were hard. Yeah, man. And then that's the thing too. It's like later on, uh, later on in a recovery, like I think one of the last things to come back to us is, is sticking up for ourselves and learning how to create boundaries. Cause when you first, when I first got sober, it was just like, okay, I'm not drinking. I don't want to kill myself. This is fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the more you get into it, you're like, oh, no, this, it doesn't have to be fine. Like, I don't, I can, I can be. No, it can be great. It can be Yeah, great. I can. I was, I was at a, I was sharing in a meeting yesterday about talking, uh, basically about like, now I feel more so, especially now than I did when I first got sober, I feel actually comfortable in my own skin and comfortable, you know, following, uh, the, the path that is laid out for me instead of trying to, to get my own, let my own bullshit get in the way. Yeah. And and two, you you get tired of the taste of shit sandwiches, you know, like people keep serving them to you, expecting you to keep eating them and you get, you get sick of that shit. Yeah. My bullshit detector has never been more finely tuned than, now five five years and change in i i honestly think that's two tenets of like having some years under your belt is your bullshit detector is on point and your give a fuck take stays 
pretty much empty. That's yes. that's the goal. That's, I mean, that's the next spot for me. I gotta get. There's still a little. There's still a little give a fuck in that tank. Yeah, I, yeah. Though, as soon as you empty that bitch, I'm telling you, uh, I, 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 I used to give half as much fucks as I give now. So I mean, it was a progress going from a full tank of fucks to give to a half tank down to a quarter tank. I think a quarter tank of fucks is is the maximum anybody should give. Right. Well, yeah. At that point, you don't want to damage your uh, your emotional engine too much. You still have to have a little bit of fuck to give in the tank. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't want to uh, your fuck pump. You don't want to uh, you know burn out your fuck pump in the tank. You know? <laughs> fuck pump, I think, is probably the name of another podcast that you and Anna should do separately. That oh, you know what? From... So- someone out there should do <laughs> the fuck pump podcast. I mean, that'd be a good like to review like sex toys podcast cast the fuck pump podcast it's even is fun there, to say there's got to be i mean there's a lot of sex podcasts out there i don't know if there's any sex review podcast i feel like we that's the next logical step <laughs> yeah someone's like i'm going to review every video on pornhub <laughs> yeah <laughs> a dave's old porn for the new generation uh just like i found this box of vhs porns and i'm gonna rate and review them <laughs> please like share subscribe Clean up your keyboard before you do all that, but please. please. Uh, this has gone off the rails already. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're gonna get we're gonna hop into the actual questions. Uh, so, what does surrender look like for you today? Uh, has it changed? Is it the same? Is it more? Is it less? You know, this is an update episode, so let's mm-hmm. see what the progress is like. Well, okay. So the last time I did, the last time I was here. Um, where was I? Honestly, I don't, it was a few years in, but I, I'm still kind of a few years in. It was before five, clearly. I think it might've been about three. Um, you're five now. I'm five now. I'm five, I'm five as of, uh, as of about a month and a half ago. No, <laughs> two months ago. Cause it's September 10th. So we're recording this on the 23rd. So it's, so it's a little bit more than two months. Um, what surrender looks like for me now is I have to actively seek to maintain a conscious contact with my higher power in order to surrender and in order to give up my, uh, give up the things that, that cause me to still act in a way that's, that's dry and not my truest and best version of myself. I have to pursue that contact as opposed to just kind of letting it wash over me because now, now five years in, right. The, the path of my own self will versus the path of following what my higher power lays out. It could totally diverge. It's the, the, the forks in the road are much more stark and they pop up way more often now, I feel like. Um, But I actually, I, I find myself asking instead of being shown Instead of instead of the obvious answer always being there, the answers are a little bit more thorny now, and sometimes they don't. They're not answers that I like to have, but I still have to follow that, right? Yeah, but, I think I think having a conscience is is one of those things that you you, you have to uh, you have to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was talking to um, a couple months ago. I had to make a tough I had to make a tough decision about uh, working with somebody. Um, and another, another fellow was telling me, 
because uh, it was a conscious, it was like a conscience morals based decision that like, I just couldn't rectify working with this person and somebody else who's been sober for a long time and, and is sort of in the same field told me that having a conscience in this industry is definitely like, it's not a fun way to go about it, but it's the more sober way and it's the more fulfilling way. And I definitely do feel that even in the moments where it is hard and, and inconvenient to engage with that conscience. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I got to, I got to sleep at night and that doesn't have anything to do with how much money I make, how many gigs I get, don't get whatever. It's like those, those gigs don't keep me awake at night sometimes, you know, like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the working with people that I, 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 you know, that we don't line up it, it prevents me from the peace. That's the reason I do all this shit. Like I would, like a lot of it feels like shit all the time. Like I don't, I don't do right. all this shit because it's all fun all the time. I do this shit because I don't like laying in bed with my head racing nine times out of ten. Like it still happens from time to time, but like you know, if I'm willing to do all this other shit, like I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to engage in having the conscience just so like all this other work isn't for naught. Like going to meetings and reading the book and helping people and not lying or not stealing, you know? So if I'm willing to do all those things, you know, like I, I, it's gotta be a full, it's gotta be a full court press on all the issues. Yeah, exactly. It's not something that I can just, you know, there was a time when I feel, I feel like when I was much earlier in my sobriety that I, that I wanted to like pick and choose what worked and I'm finding more and more that I can't really pick and choose. I, I have to really like, give it my all or it's not, or I'm not going to feel the, the relief. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm an extremist by nature. I'm either all in or I'm all out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's just, just with anything. Like if I'm working on, you know, my car or anything, I'm either working on it for eight hours till it's done or I'm going, I can't motivate myself to do the work. See, I'm the opposite. I, I prefer, my brain always is the kind that's like pinging around between a bunch of different things and jumping around. And part of that, I think is why I, you know, when I was, when I was out there in the ether, I was, I felt like I was thriving just because I didn't really have to latch onto something. I could be a chameleon and shift around between these different groups and never really tie down to something, uh, to, to an ideology or to a set of beliefs, uh, about like who I was, I could just be whatever anybody else wanted me to be. And now when my brain is, is still tends to go out and we'll try and ping around and do things. Uh, I have to remind myself of the principles that I've, that I've learned and the work that I've done. It's just like, Oh yeah, there is, there is an anchor here. Like there is a foundation that's laid that exists for a reason. So why not just plant my feet on the ground and, and trust that foundation? Yeah, and and that's you know the building blocks to li- to live in in myself. Uh, you know, start with the found because otherwise, you know, insane things happen. And if I don't have that foundation, like I'll go back to the way shit was, mm-hmm. and, and take the drink or the drug out of the equation. But like I, I don't like going back to being insane. No, and I can either. <laughs> but like that. But that, but that's you know the the insanity 
comes back when I'm not doing the things I need to do. But then sometimes it comes back when I'm I'm, I'm doing the all the right things, and I have to dig deeper and find the causes, you know, to this this new level of insanity, which is like, uh, you know, clarity insanity, or it's or you know, like grief or things like that, things that you know never would have even been possible pre sobriety. So what is the most insane moment you've had either uh before you got sober or this 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 update, you know, where where are we at with insane moments? Uh insane moments. I, I think that the most insane moments that I have now are are the moments like uh oh gosh, this is tricky. This is it's a tough question because it because it requires me to be honest and to call myself out for stuff. Right. Um, I think it's the moments when I am sort of generally doing something that is, that is not of service to somebody else, uh, or of something else. Like there are some things like times when I will, um, like being just being sort of like deliberately inconsiderate with people, right? Like I have absolutely still, done that. I have still had moments of not thinking about others' feelings and only thinking about myself in in the course of, of making a decision. And I think that you still have to, like, I think I have to sort of, I feel like all of my decisions at some point do have to, like, there's a, there's a little bit of me in all of my decisions, but it can't be me all the time. Like, I, uh, I for uh, really up until let's, let's break it down to like a week ago, right? Up until last Thursday, we're recording this Thanksgiving week. I'm not sure when this will drop, but just for the listeners, um, I, up until last Thursday and, and even a little bit after that was still very much ready to travel from California back to Texas to do shows and to visit my family for Thanksgiving and not even really so much the family part, like mostly just the, I wanted to go chase down shows and, and get some time outside of LA and and do some spots. And then one of the shows that I was supposed to do canceled. And then I was sitting there and I was like, okay, well I can still, go visit my friend and hang out with him for a couple of days and then go see my family. And then I can, at the very end of the week, I get this nice guest spot at a, at a comedy club. I can do seven minutes and that will, that will save everything. That will save my entire mindset. Keep, you know, the whole pandemic of everything that we're in right now and all of that bullshit was just like, I don't need that. I just need the seven minutes and then I'll be washed clean of all of this other bullshit and potentially hurting other people that I'm going to put myself through. Of course. And you know, health and safety reasons aside, none of that is, none of that is ultimately worth it. Like the, the, the fact is if I had gone, it would have been totally self-seeking. It would have been selfish and it would have been uh, engaging in behavior that has the potential to cause great harm to other people. Um, I cannot in good conscience do stuff like that anymore, but my brain uh, alcoholically will say, nah, it's okay. Look, look, you can do that. Trust, just figure it out. You know, you figure out a way to do it. Just make sure oh, yeah. you have, make sure that you're, you're, you're always doing the, the right thing. But the, but my brain's version of the right thing and 
the higher powers version of the right thing are two different things. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm the king of justification. Mm-hmm. You give me enough time, I'll justify my way into anything. Yeah. yeah and, and that's at the end of the day where I, I'm still capable of making poor decisions. You know, the, like the thing I don't like around the rooms is some people are like, you got to smash your ego. You got to smash that ego. Uh, when for me, I think it's like you got to keep your ego right sized. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because if I have no ego, I'm not going to take care of myself. And I, I've lived that life, you know. But if I keep my ego right sized, it allows me to make decisions. You know, having a right sized ego allows me to reach out to my people, my crew of sober friends and, you know, not even all sober, but the people that I trust to run ideas by and decisions and just talk things out. So how would you say that you make decisions today? I basically do the same thing that you do. I have a group of uh, sober individuals mostly, but generally people who I trust and who I who I don't think would lead me uh, astray. And I, I tend to run it by a couple of them if it's a big decision. Um, because it's just like, I sometimes, sometimes I get the right answer on my own, but I don't know that I have the right answer until I have run it by a couple other people and they're like, oh no, yeah, you got it. You're, that, that's, the, that's the right answer. Um, cause sometimes I'll, I'll wind up with the wrong answer. Right. And I don't want to make the wrong call and not have double checked it with somebody to be like, Hey, this is, this is sensible, right? Like this, this is totally cool. What I'm about to do and then get just shocked the response. And then I'll, I'll then I feel bad. And then mm-hmm. it just gets this whole cycle of self-pity and it's just like, I don't have time for that anymore. I, I feel like if I am going to, uh, I'm trying to remove emotion from my decisions as much as I can, other than like, just to like sit in the moment and be like, all right, if I feel uncomfortable or, or sad or angry or something, I don't make a decision in that moment. I'll sit and I'll think. And then after that feeling passes, then I'll think about like, all right, what is, what are the, uh, what are my options here? And try and find my way down to the one that makes the most sense and that is going to be the thing that will allow me to sleep at night. Yeah, and I'm capable of making decisions more now than maybe say when I first got sober. Yeah, same you know, here. like it's I I can run certain things by people. I don't have to run everything by people, but you know, it's often when I'm not sure. That's that's when I have to see counsel with other people. And that's that's keeping your ego right size. Because on the flip side of that, it's like if I still at eight and a half years don't trust myself to make certain decisions, like that's a that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, like too many too many times, you know, I treat myself like I used to in the past, you know, meaning like I don't give myself credit for the progress I've made. Right. You know, so, and that, that's important too, like as far as making decisions, you know, um, yeah, whether, to, whether to go, you know, work, not work, see family, not see family. Uh, you know, I'm glad I even have a choice today to make a decision. Mm-hmm. 
I like think the fact that I, yeah, the fact that any of us have a pause, but mm-hmm. like to, to, to consider anybody but ourselves. Yeah. I think it's about finding the balance between like not coddling yourself and not being too precious with your decisions, but knowing when something is a decision that could, <laughs> that has some ramifications other than like, Like I was just, okay. So I was just emailing somebody to try and get some money for a job that I had done uh, uh, right before we started recording. And me from several years ago would have been like, Oh, what's the best sort of just like whinging about it and being like, what do I do? I don't know. Who do I reach out to? What do I do? I know what I have to do now. I know that I have to send an email to this singular person and follow up with this person and be, uh, uh, and find, you know, don't don't have my tone be angry or go too far one way. Cause like, that's not going to help anybody. I'm just trying to get an answer here, but a, a pre- version previous to, to where I'm at now would have let my anger or, or, or jealousy or whatever the, the emotion that will drive it is get in the way of me being able to be like a functioning, normal member of society and, and not be, uh, a Karen about it, I guess. Yeah, that uh, that's <laughs> 2020. The the name Karen won't be named any of the babies that are coming from yeah, the pandemic. I hope not. I hope. I mean, there there will be more baby Karens extinct. There will be more baby Ronas than Karens. Mark my words. <laughs> For sure, uh, baby little baby Remdesivir coming out soon. I'm very excited uh, to see. I, I, I I'm I'm excited for baby Pfizer. And Anthony, baby, baby Anthony, that's going to be a big uh, baby Fauci's baby Fauci. Yeah, yeah we're doing it. <laughs> what do you say? What do you think is the most surprising thing uh, that you've learned about yourself, whether it's recovery or career or abilities or disabilities? What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself? It's the most surprising thing I've learned about myself. I think. In most recent, most recently, the most surprising thing I've learned is that uh, the things that I, you know, I, I have a series of defects, right? We we all do. If we, you know, we learn what our defects are over the course of working the twelve steps. Um, and at this point in my life, the, there are some that I still find myself engaging with in a more daily basis, uh, or, or more often. And some of the ones that I thought that I were still, were still a problem for me are no longer as big of an issue for me at all. And that was the most surprising thing. Um, being a doormat is one of the ones and, and people pleasing, which sort of go hand in hand for me. Um, it's something that I don't, uh, I don't engage in as much now because I've, I, I feel more comfortable in my own skin these days. And that means that I, I'm able to more effectively read a bad situation or, or, or decide when something is, uh, is not something that will serve my ability to sleep at night. Like I have that, that, that level of being able to tell somebody and make a decision that feels tough uh, and is not a maybe not necessarily a popular decision uh, to make or an easy one to make, but that allows me to not be a doormat for somebody. 
that's something that I've found myself much more capable of doing, especially this year than I think I ever have previously. And that's been a nice surprise. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I spent so long fucking up that sometimes my brain will still tell me that like, you owe, you owe these people cause you used to be a fuck up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, there's very few people left that remember me while I was a fuck up, you know? And I'm not saying I'm not capable of doing that currently, but a lot of like the people pleasing for me that happens is because I used to be a, like a bigger piece of shit. So it's like, I, I, I can engage in like a hypersensitivity to what people think or they're mad at me or that, you know, or did I say the wrong thing? Right. And, and, and and that's a lack of trusting in myself of that, you know, one that I'm, I'm better at making the decisions and not hurting people that I used to be, but two, trusting that if I do end up fucking hurting someone, like I have, I have, I know how to apologize today. Like I know, mm-hmm. I know, <laughs> I know how to make things right if it's possible. But I, I know, I know how to clean up my shit. Yeah, you know? I feel like one of the things that surprised me the most, for sure, about about getting to that point for me, where I'm, where I'm not, you know, where I'm uh, finding the balance and and finding that line within myself, is that I am much less. I guess the best way to put it is transactionally nice Uh, because I used to really take stock in people thinking that I was a nice, good person. And that meant that I would not necessarily do something that (laughs) would be considered good. Uh, And then I would manipulate my way into people thinking like, oh, well, he's just a nice guy. He's trying, you know, he's trying to smooth this over. And I would do stuff and say stuff that would lead people to believe, oh, he's fine. He's just smoothing this over. This is in personal relationships. This is in romantic relationships. And it's all transactional because at the end of the day, all of those decisions that led people to believe I was a nice guy were all to serve an image that I wanted to keep up that I, I don't have time to keep up anymore. I don't have the energy to keep weaving this web of just like bullshit niceness. The mass just gets heavy. The 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 mass that we all carefully construct, it mm-hmm. just gets too heavy. It just I'm just tired of fucking doing it. Yeah. And now I I am much more capable of not allowing things you know, relationships to be transactional and, uh, and I'm not expecting things from people, you know, as far as the, like the give a fuck tank goes, my expectations of, of people, I can, I've given way less fucks about those than I have recently because I don't expect people to think about me a certain way, the way that I used to, I would rather just be me and stop trying to expend all this energy, trying to be, a version of myself and put on this facade because I don't have time. I don't have the energy for that anymore. Yeah. It's, it's also too, it's very much like if you're on stage and everybody's enjoying what you're saying, except Mm -hmm. one person Mm -hmm. and it's that one shithead with their arms crossed and you're just like, and you just can't not look at that person. And it took a lot of years for me just to ignore that one person. 
Yeah. Instead of stopping the whole show uh, that 90% of the people were enjoying to engage with this singular individual that doesn't give a shit about yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> and and the, one of my favorite... One of my favorite phrases that I picked up over the years that someone told me, and I, when I'm at my best is when I'm living this way, it's it's none of your business what people think of you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's none of my goddamn business what someone else thinks of me, because it's not, that's that's their thoughts. It's none of my business. And so long, so often I wanted to make it my business, and I'm still capable of it, but, you know, I if you didn't like me, I needed to know why. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I, and, I at same thing. I and I needed to know why not because I wanted to make it right, but I needed to know why so I could tell you you were wrong to not mm-hmm. like me. Right. Cuz I cuz that's the thing it's you still have that that pride and you still want to have your ego be, not be right sized and and be correct and find that rightness and start those fights. You know, it's it's interesting to talk about this too because I feel like when I perform stand-up, I over, you know, I've been doing stand-up for like 10 years now. And I recently have started to really think about uh, perception on stage, right? As far as like, I look a certain way and the, the version of me that's on stage to some degree is the most like distilled version of my, ideas and opinions. And if I wear a certain style of clothes or if I make sure that like I'm clean shaven instead of having a weird mustache, then people are much more likely to get on board with the things that I say compared to if I'm dressed wearing, like I'm wearing, I can't wear this sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now on stage really at a show, which is like a cool, like notorious BIG sweatshirt. Cause then people are not going to be, they're, they're going to have a harder time getting on board with some of the stuff that I have to say in my act. Um, and I feel like the only way, the only reason I've been able to get to that level of, understanding what people see in like in me when I'm on stage is because I have become more comfortable in myself and figuring out like, all right, if I want to be the, the most effective comedian that I can be, then I need to look a certain way. So that way I can get what I, uh, you know, I can, the, I can be of the best service to the audience. I can get them to, to, to see what I see and laugh at the things that I'm trying to get them to laugh at. Uh, But I couldn't do that if I was caught up so much in my regular day-to-day life about like the way people look at me and the way people perceive me. I have to, I have had to find a way to separate that perception as an artist from the perception of my everyday life. The performance and the person are two different things now. Yeah, I that uh, the one one is an elevated version of myself, and the other is just me. I, I trust me; it's not like I and not like I'm not capable. Like I can't just wear tie dyes on stage, you know, because it's like I mean I could, but it's just like that comes along with it. And whether I want to argue with myself or not, like I'll do it. It doesn't bother like me. Like I I because when I first came up, like the second club owner that we had, he used to fucking make us wear vests and ties and shit. 
like oh, in order stage, in order yeah. to in order to host so like after i realized that that level of shit didn't matter i just uh, uh, wearing whatever i want on stage was nice but you know you look good you feel good and you know and if if you want to convey information being the best version of yourself to convey that information whatever that is i mean if the best version of yourself is a suit and tie great if the best version of yourself is a notorious big hoodie great but you you know what the best version of yourself up there is right you no know? yeah and, and and jay's realizing it's not a mustache uh for those at home not a mustache Jay, Jay had a Ned Flanders ask mustache for 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 a time, and he just wore it defiantly uh, Here's, against. I, I had that mustache, and I remember <laughs> I did a I had an audition way back in the time in the mustache times. Yeah, and then I sh- I got tired of the mustache, and I shaved it off, and I I shaved it off on a show the, this weekly show that I do with a buddy of mine. And I shaved it off live on the air. And then I got a callback for that audition. And I went on Zoom for the callback. And the casting director was like, where's your quarantine mustache? And I was like, I didn't, I got rid of it. I didn't like it. And it's just like, if you think that I'm the best version of myself with a mustache, then maybe don't ever cast me in something. Because I would much rather just... (laughs) feel good about myself and not feel like I'm trying to exert some idea that isn't really me. Mm, yeah. I'm not ready for the mustache yet. No, no. Give, give it some time. Yeah. Give it some time. <laughs> uh, and that, I mean, that, that takes honesty. And I think that's what we're all, we're, we're trying to get at here is like it, knowing who you are and what makes you feel good keeping your give a fuck tank mostly empty it, it comes with a level of being honest with yourself and mm-hmm. i'm a big proponent of of uh, of honesty how honest would you say you are with yourself and others jay uh i am as honest as i can be with myself and others because nowadays if i'm not then i feel the effects much more uh, and I, it's the same kind of thing. I don't have the, I don't have the energy to, to bear this weight of dishonesty because it's going to catch up to me sooner or later. I would rather not have to have it catch up with me at all. Yeah. It, I still am capable of, of, of telling myself the lies I need to tell myself to either do or not do something. Right. Uh, But like, I would say that my honesty with other people stems from two things. One, it's just a better way to live. But two, it's just like, man, I don't, I don't like apologizing for shit. Mm -hmm. Like I'll do it if I have to, but there's a couple things in my current sobriety, like currently in, in sobriety, I don't like making amends to people and I don't like owing people money. Mm. Two, two things that I was completely fucking fine with before I got sober. Uh, so now, like, my level of honesty, it, it's still selfish just because I don't want to fucking have to tell you that I lied. Because, like, as soon as I lie to you, like, I, the one, the one lie that, that I've, I've told recently that I always, I, I still have to, like, justify in my head. And it's every time I go out to do shows, I come back and I get a COVID test. 
and the website asks you, do you have health insurance? And I say no, because I want it to be free, because right. I, I don't have good health insurance, and I can't afford to take a $100 test every time. So is that honest? No. <laughs> do I have to do some gymnastics with myself? Every single time. Yeah. You know, and, but that's the thing. So you seek counsel from people and they're like, oh, yeah, well, fuck, fuck them. It's the government. Like they got money to do it. Yeah, but it's still that's a level. It's a level of dishonesty that because I'm mostly honest, that's that's insignificant thing. So what I've, I've come to the conclusion is just like I'm going to donate money, so some monies to covid relief or whatever. You know, like that to me is like how I can make an amends for lying the nine times I've had to stick that shit up my nose. <laughs> there you go. Balance the scales and I mean, fuck insurance and fuck the government anyway. It's, it's all bullshit. Uh, Jay Anarchist Light, everybody. <laughs> Burn if it all down. If there's ever an institution, oh my God, if there's ever an institution that I feel like I have really no, as little of a problem as I can being dishonest with, it's the fucking government. So... Keep you up know. the good work. <laughs> I pay all my taxes and don't come after me, government. Same uh, <laughs> here. I promise. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, it's it, we were talking about a little bit about COVID uh, and everything, and I feel like it's gone on so long that the anxiety surrounding it is is diminished. It's amazing how adaptable human beings are, or at least myself. Like just. This just honestly, it's unfortunate, but it just feels fucking normal. Like I, mm -hmm. I, the safety precautions I take on a daily basis, which I do take them, masks, sanitizers, all that stuff. I don't think about it anymore. It becomes just something that like I, I'm just equipped to handle, you know, like I, when I was first doing the testing and stuff like that, I was anxious. I was just like, am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like, am I, you know, uh, did I did I close the bag up enough? And this last time, I was just like, I was on the phone with someone the whole fucking time. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was crazy, man. Fucking, you know, I was watching that show, uh, Queen's Gambit, and I'm just like, I'm like waving at the people that are handing me the bag, mm -hmm. and just like, I, like, I, like I know I'm an old hat at this, you know. But I say all that to say that my anxiety has been diminished significantly around trouble because I know how to handle it. And, yeah. and that, and that is a direct result. I think of, of being in recovery for me. How do you experience anxiety? Has it changed? Has it morphed? Uh, do you still get anxious? I do still get anxious. Um, I find myself in the same sort of boat as you, I find myself much more capable of dealing with the anxiety uh, than I than I previously was able to, because I've always I, I feel like even before I was sober, I was a pretty proactive dude. Uh, I w was a, was a hard worker, and I made sure that I try you know I got my stuff done, whether it was uh, schoolwork or or job stuff or career stuff, and, and you know I was always trying to refer stand up, right. I was always trying to write new material and, ge and generate that and focus on and, and hone some of the stuff that I, that I liked and me and try to make it better. And I was always trying to improve. Um, but I wasn't putting all of my energy into that. Uh, and especially when I would get anxious about something, I would sort of find a way to 
you know, typically through the use of drugs or alcohol to put up a wall to keep the anxiety at bay. And then I would just ignore continuing to work on that thing um, or, or, or half-ass it. Um, work at a pace that was more my speed in the, in, in terms of me being able to like do the thing and not feel anxious. Um, now I, I am much more capable of recognizing that sometimes, you know, anxiety is just a part of life. And I don't think that me holding anything off is going to keep the anxiety from, from existing. What I have to do now is just hunker down and say, all right, this anxiety is going to be here. I know it won't be here forever. Uh, which is a difficult thing to say, given that we're still in a in a pandemic and that the country is collapsing right. before our very eyes, and that you know restaurants and bars and stuff are closing, and there's no relief and no stimulus packages are being passed on any level. Like all that stuff causes me a lot of anxiety, right? But I can't I can't do anything about that right now. I can't go to you know. Gavin Newsom's house or Stephen Mnuchin's house and yell at them and recognize that that's going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. What I can do is make the personal decisions that will allow me to feel less anxious quicker um, by going through the anxiety as opposed to just blocking it off and letting it just sort of fade out on its own. Like I was uh, a couple weeks ago, I was working back on a television show again. And when you're coming off of working sort of at your own, like leisurely pace, working at home for you know, seven months, going back into an office where the deadlines are much faster and the pace is much quicker and the people you have to answer to are physically there and asking you for answers to these questions right, right, right away. It makes me anxious, but I I feel confident in my ability to to work through that anxiety as opposed to letting it paralyze me and just try and watch it from from a distance. You know, I can't keep I can't keep my anxiety at arm's length anymore because if I do, then I'm not really processing it effectively. I find and I'm and I'm harming myself and others in in some cases by trying to keep that anxiety at arm's length. Yeah, I, uh, I I drank to quell so many like just agitations in myself that uh, the only way it was manageable was to be numb to all of it. But I, it's if I feel it, it's because I'm supposed to be feeling, even though I hate all my feelings currently and forever. Mm-hmm. But if I feel it, it's because like I have a, a mechanism that exists naturally. So to fight against something like sadness or to like stuff anger, you know, uh, and the thing same, it, it's never good. And it's, I, I say the same thing with my therapist. It's, it's, I, I move through these feelings. Like I, you know, I go, th- I go right through them and, and they pass when they're going to pass because I, I know as much as I don't like it, that that's the only way to really diminish them is just to yeah. move through them. I, earlier this year, I was dealing with a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety in in ways that I, I I guess I sort of had hadn't dealt with it because 
you know, everything, the more time you have sober, the more the feelings feel. And, and it, it, they just hit you a little bit harder, I think, because you're further and further away from the stuff that you used to do to numb the feelings. And I had a conversation with my sponsor about what to do, uh, you know, because I was just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel just heightened and anxious and I feel like I feel like something has been activated that I don't really don't I don't know how to deal with this part of the machine, I guess is the best way to put it. And he was like, all right, what does it feel like? Do you feel any like physical sensations? What what do those feel like? You know, it's like, oh, my stomach hurts or, you know, I feel like some neck or shoulder pain or something like that. And he's like, all right. And he just focused on the things that are physically happening to you as a byproduct of, of this emotion and find yourself able to ground it in yourself and in your body. And then you'll be able to work through that faster because you're accepting the feeling of, uh, in a physical way, as opposed to in a purely mental and emotional way. When I find myself able to like sit with something, that means I have to accept it in my, in myself, like telling you this right now, this is, I have a feeling, right? Like I have this feeling of sort of nerves, the butterflies, right? Or here, because I, I'm not, I don't even know why it, it could be any number of things. It could be nerves. It could be, uh, it, it's probably some form of anxiety. It's maybe wanting to, to make sure I get something right. But I, I can't discount that stuff. Like my body is responding in a way for a reason. And the quicker I come to grips with accepting the reasons why my body is doing a thing, then I can find the answers better and then work my way through the, those feelings. Well, that was totally wrong. Uh, that was the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, and that's again, that goes, that goes with just trusting that you're capable of of that type of work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I never trusted myself at all. That's a defect of character that I I, I had uh, among many other things. Uh, what would you say are the defects of character that you've surrendered to the most, or ha- have actively turned over or worked on? Uh, the doormat people pleasing stuff is the stuff that I find myself turning over and working on the most. Um, neglect is also the one for me. That's the, that's the constant neglect is the one that I, I've sort of come to, to accept that that is the, the defect that I will find myself wanting to engage with the most or engaging with the most. Cause that, you know, neglecting can be isolating myself from other people Neglect could be not checking in on on friends or neglecting my own work, um, whether that's career stuff or spiritual stuff, program stuff, neglecting to take care of myself. Because the easy thing to do is to to not do. The easiest thing in the world is to just not do anything to, to try and grow as a human being is to neglect my, to neglect the work, to neglect myself, to neglect other people. That's the easiest thing because then it means I don't have to put any effort in. But 
life requires effort. And I know that I can't not put in effort. And as much as my, uh, the defect of neglect wants to say, ah, you don't, don't go, don't worry about that. Don't, don't, don't make that phone call. Don't go to that meeting. Don't write that bit. Don't listen to your old sets. Don't, <laughs> don't stand up for yourself. If I follow that feeling, then I am not following the, the, the direction that uh, has been laid out for me. I'm following my own self-will. I'm following uh, a, a diseased path and a path that will lead to more restlessness, irritability, and discontent. Yeah, and I, I don't think that ever goes away. I just think it's just like it's how you manage. You know, I, I have to sometimes, especially you know, as the years go on, I have to learn to like forgive myself for the feeling the way I feel, mm-hmm. because it's just like that's feelings. You know, I'm not. You know, as long as as long as I'm not letting them run the show. You know, I, I could be okay with that. Mm-hmm. How would you say that you experience forgiveness, either forgiving yourself or uh, seeking forgiveness from other people? You know, I experience forgiveness through a lot of, uh, of taking that pause as far as, if you know, if I, I want to try and act in a way in general where I don't have to seek forgiveness from others. So that on my end requires me to pause and sometimes seek counsel and make sure that I'm making a decision that is not going to cause somebody harm. Uh, sometimes I can't help it and I, and I make a snap decision um, or a decision that feels like it's thought out uh, and, and not necessarily one that I sought counsel on where I still cause harm to other people. And I have to make that amends as soon as I can because I can't just let that sit. Um, I have really in the past, you know, especially since the last time I I did this podcast, I've had to really focus more on being able to forgive others more quickly. Um, Because sometimes I want to forgive people at my own pace. And that does not necessarily mean it is the pace that my that would be, make the most sense, right? Like sometimes I have to forgive people quicker than I would like, or sometimes I have to allow uh, some feelings to still be processed before I can forgive somebody. Even if I want to forgive that person, it doesn't mean that I can, uh, you know, saying act as if all I want, it doesn't mean that I'm actually going to be able to like process and forgive this person. Like, I, <laughs> I have to remove myself now from, from finding forgiveness in people as much as I can, because sometimes it's not my decision completely on when I can forgive somebody. Sometimes I have to make the choice to forgive somebody for, like, I have to forgive my family for their, their political opinions. I can't allow that to color our relationship. I have to forgive, you know, uh, I have to forgive my girlfriend whenever we're doing housework projects. Sometimes are sometimes things can get a little heated uh, because she is better objectively at putting together stuff 
and hanging the pe- things. The, pe- she the takes people, more ju- time. the people just listening, he looked around to make sure that that his girlfriend wasn't in the room. Uh, I already know she's saying, not in the room. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, I looked but around, you because there's no you way still she looked can... around. Yeah, you still <laughs> looked around as if like you like you were dishing the dirt. I'm dishing it. But here's the thing: is like we literally this morning we're putting up stuff. Uh, we're putting up artwork and. Sometimes, you know, when we have worked on stuff before, when we were setting up this new house, I had to say, hey, (laughs) sometimes the way you talk to me is not great and it doesn't make me feel good because you talk to me like I am an idiot or like I'm less than. And I know that she does not want to treat me that way, but she feels bad enough. I don't need to hold it over her as much as I might want to on like some deep alcoholic level and hold it over her and use that as like a bargaining chip and to manipulate the way our relationship would go. That's not the sober way of dealing with the relationship. The sober way of dealing with it is, Oh yeah, no, it was a blip. Okay. I forgive you. It's okay. You're don't sweat it. But I, you know, I have to remove myself from the equation of that level of forgiveness in order to to experience forgiveness properly and forgive others. What would you say your most surprising amends has been or apology that you've made? Hmm. Oh, that's tricky. Well, that's a really tough question. It's tough when you're never saying you're sorry. <laughs> it's like, I well, never I apologize for shit. Well, because that's the thing is like, I don't think. I certainly don't put myself in a position where like, I, I never say I'm sorry. Sometimes I still make decisions that feel, you know, that, that I have to find myself making an amends for or apologizing for later on. Um, what is the, mm, this is tough. So historically, I'm like, oh, we can go deep too. Like you can go like pre pre sobriety, uh, what like with something that you had to make an amends for that was difficult. We can do that too. You know, actually, this is this is probably one. I don't know if I talked about this before, but I don't. And if I did, it still rings as the thing that is the most obvious one to me because I've been thinking about it a lot since uh, I, I was in a meeting yesterday and somebody brought up um, hiding things and. Um, Hiding things is something that I do tend to have to make amends for uh, more so than other things. Um, the I had when I was when I was making my amends when I first worked the steps. There was a friend who I had to make amends to for uh, a very a, a handful of things. Right, I had to make an amends for like stealing from him and for. Like, uh, like sabotaging relationships and, uh, and, and that sort of stuff. Right. And when I got to the, is there anything that we didn't cover question? Um, he, he, he showed me that he was very upset with me for not ever talking about having a a drinking problem 
for being an alcoholic. Cause I'd never, I had kept this hidden from a, just about everybody in my life. And this is one of my best and oldest friends who I'm making this amends to. And before I got sober, I hadn't talked to him about any of it at all. Uh, and there's a part of me that was like, well, you're being mad for no reason. I don't think like, this is very silly for you to be mad at me for not telling you about this. Like I wasn't and telling we also, anybody we, about this. And yeah, we also think that our actions don't affect anybody else. Right. You know? And it, you know, we had a, I guess it was probably about a month of, after making the initial amends and still like, and still me feeling like I didn't have to continue any further, just like, okay, cool. I solved it. We had a month of like trauma between us where like, I felt like everything was cool and we weren't talking. And then I came to be, I had to talk to other people in our friend group, like what's going on. And I had to sort of come to grips with the fact that like, I did have a part in this instance as well as much as i wanted to think that i didn't have a part in hiding my behavior from one of my best friends uh and trying to put all the blame on him that's not how the situation was like stand back take the perspective i'm the one doing the hiding i'm the one who's causing this strife in his life. I'm the one who's making him maybe question our friendship all because I didn't want to just cop to something. Yeah. And then further not copping to it and being like, no, this is all on you. What does that do? What kind of behavior is that? What does that say about me that I'm still at that point willing to try and say, no, this is still your problem. I got nothing to do with this. I have something to do with it. I have to find ways to reckon with my behavior. Um, that was a really tough one for me to do because I still, it took me a while to, to really keep figure out how to keep my side of the street clean on that one. Yeah. To realize like, I do have a part in in the things that I keep from people. I'm keeping them. I, it, I'm the one who's keeping those things. They're not the ones who are looking around and being like, hey, where's this thing? Hey, where's this thing you're hiding from me? Because they don't know. And then I reveal it and, and everybody gets hurt. And then all of a sudden I want to put the blame on somebody else. That's not, it's not how it works. But we think it's how it works sometimes. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, my friends I are just, not Indiana Jones. I'm not expecting them to like come in and unearth my treasures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, you need to complete this puzzle in the temple to to know my secrets, um, right? Or else I'm going to rip your heart out. Yeah, and and especially too, like uh, you know, like keeping things from someone for me can sometimes be that like I I'm just I'm mad at someone for something that I'm not willing to tell them that they did. Mm -hmm. You know, like, because I don't want to, because uh, I, I don't like confrontation. So that's just as much my responsibility to to be like, yo, this thing that you did bothered me, and you might not have meant it or whatever. You know, it's it's the same. It's the same thing. Like, how much poison am I willing to to carry around? Right. 
it's this it's the it's the not wanting to it's the not wanting to smooth things over it's the wanting to have things have everything be on the table i don't want to clear the table i would rather know what we're working with and say okay let's put this let's put this somewhere instead of just like brushing it all off being like no nah, it's fine yeah and i it it uh, to me it's how i achieve whatever amalgamation of spirituality that I have at any given time um, is when I'm conscious of carrying around that poison, when I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning my side of the street. Uh, what does your spiritual practice look like day to day? You know, is there meditation? Is there, you know, work, therapy, mm -hmm. church, whatever? Uh, I get up every morning and I pray and I meditate and I do some morning pages, a little artist way action. Um, mostly just to get the gunk out and see what's going on and see where I'm at at the start of the day. Uh, I try and communicate with others. I try and call other alcoholics and call sober folks and, and do things uh, to step outside of myself as much as I can, which is tough to do in isolation. It's tough to do when you're on lockdown, but there are things I could do, right? Like there's stuff, things around the house that I can do that's simple, but it's of service to the household, right? Like, it, you know, if I'm, if I'm being the selfish dry asshole, then I'm not going to feed the cats in the morning. I'm going to let them yowl and scream until they chew my girlfriend's hair enough that she feeds the cats while I do whatever the, you know, meditate or write or whatever. That's not of service to the household, right? With the with the service looks like is me getting up and doing that as soon as I can. So that way everybody gets a little bit more respite. Um, so I try and do the little pieces of work day to day that prevent me from having to make the big over over huge lengths of time uh big time changes uh and and amends and that kind of stuff um because i gotta look at the world from a more micro perspective than a more macro one especially now i gotta look at things i gotta take stuff day by day one day at a time is is has never been more of a thing that i think about since my earliest days of sobriety than it is right now. What can I do today that will allow me to feel some peace and that I can do to help other people? And, and it is a practice. I think people forget that word practice, that mm -hmm. it's, it's not a, it's not, you're not going to go into the gym and lift 400 pounds, you know? So, but if you go to the gym over time and you slowly increase your weights and you're consistent and you're doing those small, then, then you will get there eventually. And I, you know, I, th I think people lose out on that where it's just like, well, I'm not spiritual because of X, Y, Z, or, uh, I don't meditate cause I can't, you know, like it took a good six or seven months for me of meditating three minutes a day before I could go five minutes you know where like are you at just, now uh what i need is 15 
but what I do is probably five to seven because, and and this is a recent development for me. 15 is when I start feeling the feelings when I, Ah. so, you know, so it's like five to seven is, 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 is a sufficient meditation practice to keep me sane. 15 is when I start like fucking swirling around in my brain and feeling, uh, uh, feeling feelings and crying while meditating. So like, yeah, that that's, you know, uh, imagining what my dad's last hours of life were like for him from his perspective. That's that's the 15 minute mark of meditation that I'm just like, Ugh, uh, gonna do that maybe once a month. But I, I do meditate every day, uh, and it's usually the five to seven mark is the sweet spot where I don't I'm not going too deep, but it's enough to it's enough to calm the old nerves. <laughs> right. Yeah. I try. I do 10 every morning, but. Now I'm starting to feel like, oh, I do probably need to up it a little bit. I'm going to put, I feel like I've done 10 long enough that I can probably put a couple more weights on either end of that barbell yep. up it to 15 or 20. And I do still, I mean, I, I, I think I talked about this previously, but I do still love going into a float tank every once in a while and we'll get yeah. nice, like, two hour, nothing but my thoughts, supercharge. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, that's what, when I, when I achieve monies uh, to the degree that I could just buy a float tank, that will be the first thing I buy <laughs> is, is a goddamn tank uh, because I think they are amazing. So shout out to Sensory Deprivation. Yes. Um, and that's, I mean, that's as close as I feel uh, sometimes to being able to connect with a power greater than myself. Uh, what is what is your relationship with your higher power look like? Do you have one, not have one? What's up? Uh, I have one. I tend to view, uh, the, my view of my higher power has certainly evolved over my time being sober. Um, the version of it now that works best for me um, and is a version that I can, that I, that I have, no resentments towards the way I have previous versions of God uh, that I've had in my life before I got sober and even a little bit early on. Um, it's just looking at it as, as following a good orderly direction um, and following a path that, you know, seems to be the one that's in line with not just my own happiness, but the happiness of others too. Um, the happiness of people who I hold close, especially. And in order to follow that good orderly direction, in order to follow that path, I have to make sure that I'm doing that spiritual legwork, the, the daily practices of things, in order to, to maintain that conscious contact. Because um, if I don't do the things to maintain the conscious contact, then I can't see the path. I need that. I need the God. God, you know, God's there. And meditating in prayer or like a machete that just lets me cut through the brush a little bit and figure out, oh, okay, this is this is where I'm supposed to go. It's not hidden. This is the second time this week I've heard someone compare their higher power to a machete. No, my was... higher power is the path. The other stuff's the machete. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, like so literally someone in the meditation meeting I was in yesterday compared their higher power to a machete. So... <laughs> Listen, yeah. everybody loves a machete, all right? They're good. They're a good tool. They're a good weapon. I think everybody should have a machete around the house. 
Yeah, uh, this this segment brought to you in part by our new sponsor, uh, Machetes R Us. Uh, MachetesRUs.com. Mention 12Q Pod at checkout for a 10% discount. Um, I Yeah, uh, my higher power right now is not so much God as it is uh, the honesty, the open-mindedness, and the willingness. So being honest, being open that there probably is something out there for me and being willing to, to seek. You got a how. That's, that yep, that is that is where I've been. Um, so we're gonna land this fucking plane. Uh, what would you tell someone just like you listening right now? Someone just like me listening right now, um, with a mustache or without a mustache? Shave the mustache. <laughs> you don't need it. Uh, it. The mustache will come to you when you're ready. <laughs> Um, I, the thing that I would tell if there's somebody out there listening, who's got a few years under their belt and who is finding their life growing in a way that you have to keep up with. Um, remember that your, your practice and the way you interact with people, you have to change that. You have to, you have to, you have to figure out how to grow in that as well. You can't ever stay, you can't stay stagnant just because we're all locked down and we can't be, you know, we can't be moving around places or we have to change the way that we work or change the way that we live our lives does not mean that as an excuse for you to just let things just kind of level off, grow, be okay with growth. You have, you have the capacity for it. You have all the tools you need and you're good enough to grow. So allow yourself the chance to do that. Trust yourself. Yes. Well, Jay, we did it. You're always a delight. I consider you a good friend and always great to talk with you. Uh, what are you working on? What would you like people to know, uh, to check out, uh, and how do they find you on social media? Uh, my favorite thing that I've done this year is something you should definitely check out. My comedy album, my debut album, it's called Good Guy with a Gun. It is available wherever you listen to music and comedy. Uh, including iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and all that good stuff. Um, you can find me on the internet at Diet J on Twitter and Instagram, jlightcomedy.com for show dates, live, live streamed, whatever we, whatever we wind up working out. They're all there. And uh, all my other stuff is there too. So take a look. Hell yeah. Check Jay out. Uh, his, his album, Good Guy with a Gun, is very funny. Uh, you can find us. Uh, Anna V is fun. Uh, my lovely co-host Anna V is fun on social media. You can find this podcast at Twelve Q Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, and uh, an announcement: uh, we got some swag to give away. Uh, so if you've subscribed to the podcast or reviewed the podcast, shoot us a message or an email: Twelve Q Pod at gmail.com. and I will send you. Uh, uh, some 12 questions swag. Uh, you can find me at Yates Comedy on all the social media. And uh, if you're looking to purchase hot sauce, uh, you can do that. Uh, it's called hahahotsauce.com. And you can check out my debut album as well. It's called One Long Merch Pitch because uh, that is exactly what it is. It's a vehicle to sell hot sauce. So uh, the way we end the podcast, as you're familiar with, and everybody else at home, Jay, nobody's told you this today. We love you. Ah, I love you too. Love you, buddy. And then if you're listening at home, in your car, uh, on a plane, on a boat, on a train, 
if no one's told you today, we love you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Thank you.